Well, that is the hope of the gospel. That, that's why we're here, uh, because we are convinced that, that people's lives uh, can be changed uh, by the power of the gospel of Jesus Christ. Uh, but you know, that, that, that challenges us sometimes, because while we, we believe that kind of in theory and big picture, sometimes it presses on us in the details. And sometimes we wonder, you know, is real change possible? And we, we are looking for answers in a lot of places. I mean, go, go to a, a retail bookstore, or Barnes & Noble, or go online and just look at the self-help sections. I mean, they're huge. Why is that? Why, why do those books continue to sell? Because people are looking uh, they're longing for change. They're, they're longing for something in their life to change. Even people that regularly go to church find themselves struggling with things and, and start to wonder, you know, where is the, the power of God to change? Why can't I get over this? And if change is possible... How does it happen? I mean, how does a fearful person move forth in bravery and courage? Is it really possible for a racist person to become tolerant and even loving? Is it really possible for a person who lacks self-control in some area of their life and it repeatedly is causing problems? for them to be moved in such a way that they can begin to get control in that area of their life. We believe it is. We believe it is possible, not because we have a magic formula, but because of the power of the gospel of Jesus Christ. And so I, I just want to kind of lay a foundation for a, a series uh, that we're going to step into uh, and we're going to lay the foundation, and we'll come back and back and back to this foundation because what I am convinced of is that there are many of us, even many of us who hang out in church quite regularly, that don't really know this truth, that don't really live out of this reality. And so let me kind of lay the, the, the foundation here with some just key truths for this series. And maybe it'll be a reminder for you. Maybe it'll be something that'll kind of stretch you or challenge some of your thinking. The gospel, the gospel is not just how we begin in Christ, but it is also how we grow in Christ. And for many of us, we, we think, well, the gospel is for people that, that don't know Christ, uh, but it's actually for all of us all the time. It's not just how we begin in Christ, it is actually how we continue to grow in Christ. The way that you grow in Christ is never growing beyond the gospel but growing deeper in the gospel. And I'll try to maybe show you a picture that I hope will help with that in just a few moments. But just to lay it down on the front end, if I'm really going to experience real change, if I'm going to continually to be transformed, it's not by going beyond the gospel. It's like, okay, that was, the, that was for beginners, but now, now I'm ready for more stuff. No, no, it's actually growing deeper in the gospel. Said another way, the same grace that has forgiven me 
is now in the process of changing me. As much as I needed grace in the beginning, I still need that grace today. The same grace that has forgiven me is the grace that I now need to be in the process of changing me. See, what, what, what happens to us sometimes is we, we get this false assumption that I, I know I need grace, I know I need the gospel like to be forgiven, to deal with my past, and, and I know kind of like way off in the future, we hope way off, or some of us, we hope way off in the future, uh, that maybe I'm going to need it like to get to heaven, but this whole space in between Sometimes we say, I kind of, you know, I do my duty, I, I grit it out, I, I, I do the best that I can. But it's actually the gospel from beginning to end and all through the middle. It's God's grace from beginning to end and all through the middle. And one of the passages that, that we're just going to sit and saturate in over the next few weeks is perhaps a familiar passage to many of us in the room. But maybe it's new to some. It's found in John's gospel, the 15th chapter. And there Jesus gives another word picture describing himself and our relationship with him. So if you have a copy of, uh, of the, the scriptures with you today, I want to encourage you to find John 15. And I'm just going to read through those first 11 verses, encourage you to follow along because I want us to kind of just see the flow of this uh, this morning. And we're going to spend some time diving a little deeper into parts of it uh, throughout this series. I am, Jesus speaking, I am the true vine and my father is the vine dresser. Every branch in me that does not bear fruit, he takes away, and every branch that does bear fruit, he prunes, that it may bear more fruit. Already you are clean because of the word that I have spoken to you. Abide in me, and I in you. As the branch cannot bear fruit by itself unless it abides in the vine, neither can you unless you abide in me. I am the vine, you are the branches. Whoever abides in me, and I in him, he it is that bears much fruit. For apart from me, you can do nothing. If anyone does not abide in me, he is thrown away like a branch and withers, and the branches are gathered and thrown into the fire and burned. If you abide in me and my words abide in you, ask whatever you wish, and it will be done for you. By this my Father is glorified that you bear much fruit, and so prove to be my disciples. As the Father has loved me, so I have loved you. Abide in my love. If you keep my commandments, you will abide in my love, just as I have kept my Father's commandments and abide in his love. These things I have spoken to you, that my joy may be in you, and that your joy may be full. Now, there's a whole lot there. The key pictures. Jesus as this life-giving vine. The heavenly Father as this skilled vine dresser who knows exactly what to do and how to do it and when to do it. And then those of us who are followers of Christ are described in this word picture as branches of the vine. Branches that are dependent upon the vine for life. 
branches that are dependent upon the, the care of the, the vine dresser for, for maximum fruitfulness. And Jesus kind of combines these, these pictures to give us, this is what life in me looks like. This is how you do life, not just in the sweet by and by, but in the nasty here and now, right? Uh, This is how you and I were designed to live. But in order to experience this daily transformation, we must do at least three things. And again, this kind of giving you the broad picture today. We're going to go deeper in the weeks ahead. But just think about three things out of this word picture. The first is we got to acknowledge our own weakness. we got to acknowledge our own weakness, that it's Jesus who is the vine, not us. It's the Father is the vine dresser, not us. And in fact, is that he goes on and makes it very clear in verses uh, 4 and 5, uh, unless the branch Uh, As the branch cannot bear fruit by itself, unless it abides in the vine, neither can you unless you abide in me. I am the vine, you are the branches. Whoever abides in me and I in him, he it is that bears much fruit. For apart from me, you can do nothing. If I'm going to experience transformation, it's not necessarily by working myself up with with more positive affirmations or or telling myself what a wonderful person I am, Uh, but it's actually, I start with admitting my need, that I am absolutely dependent upon God. Now, here's the encouraging thing. The Bible is filled with weak people that God used in mighty ways, Now, I don't know about you, but that encourages the heck out of me (laughs) because it's like ordinary men and women. It wasn't that they were extraordinary, it's that they were connected to an extraordinary God. And this extraordinary God can do wonderful, extraordinary things through very ordinary, very weak, very normal people who are vitally connected to him. And that, that's what you find uh, throughout Scripture, this, this testimony of the fact that it is, it, is, it is God's power, it's not mine. To the Corinthians, Paul wrote, but God chose what is foolish in the world to shame the wise. God chose what is weak in the world to shame the strong. Yeah, sometimes we think, well, God, God's, you know, looking for the, the few, the proud, right? Uh, those that are like the elite of the elite. Actually, God works through men and women who recognize their need. That recognizes their need for them. And Paul, who started off so proud, so religious, so doing everything right in his own strength, came to the realization that that wasn't getting him anywhere that he needed more. In fact is, he would look back and realize the master vine dresser had actually allowed this, this weakness in his life, this thorn in the flesh in his life, so that he would recognize his need to be connected to Christ. But he said to me, as he said, I've cried out to God in prayer, but he said to me, my grace is sufficient for you. For my power is made perfect in weakness. Therefore, I will boast all the more gladly of my weaknesses so that the power of Christ may rest upon me. For the sake of Christ, then, I am content with weakness, insult, hardships, persecutions, and calamities. I mean, there's nothing in my flesh that is satisfied with any of those things, right? For when I am weak, 
then, then I am strong. So when we talk about acknowledging our weakness, we're, the call is not to make ourselves weak. It's not, not to, to deny any God-given strengths or capacities or aptitudes or abilities or those sort of things, but it is actually to admit our weaknesses, to recognize that God designed us from the word go to be dependent upon him and interdependent with one another. And until I come to that point, I don't have a whole lot of hope for being transformed powerfully by the gospel of Jesus Christ. It begins when I acknowledge my weakness, my need for him, my need for that which only he can provide. Secondly, this word picture reminds us that I've got to accept God's pruning process along the way. That I've got to accept the fact that this master vine dresser is going to be the one who, he is sovereign over all the events in my life, and he knows what to allow into my life and when to allow it and how much of it to allow to perfect, to point toward, to draw out that which he is desiring to do in my life. And so that, that word picture there uh, that says that every, every branch that, that bears fruit, he prunes that it may bear more fruit. Now, we acknowledge on the front end that pruning is not easy and it's not a pleasant process, right? I mean, you're talking about like, you know, just cutting something, right? You know, earlier this year, we've got a few crepe myrtle trees in our backyard and I like hacked away at those, you know, as crepe murder, right? I mean, you know, it's just like, it's just like, I just, I felt like guilty afterwards. It's like, oh, I hope this comes back or Susan's going to kill me, right? I mean, it looks, I mean, it looks like I have just like murdered these things, right? And I'm like, I'm like, whew, the first this green stuff starts to appear again. It's like, oh, I didn't kill it. I didn't kill it, right? Sometimes when God's pruning it feels like I'm being killed here, right? And I'm being smashed. I'm being cut. I don't know if I'm ever going to recover. Pruning is not easy. It's not a pleasant process. But it's part of the process that the vine dresser uses to maximize the power of change and the purpose of change in our life. Hebrews 12 says, For the moment, all discipline seems painful rather than pleasant. But later, later it yields the peaceful fruit of righteousness to those who have been trained by it. That, that in the moment it's painful, and yet, yet those who have eyes to see realize that, that, that God can use it in our lives. And so James would encourage us, count it all joy, my brothers, when you meet trials of various kinds. For you know that the testing of your faith produces steadfastness. And let steadfastness have its full effect, that you may be perfect and complete, lacking in nothing. Now, there's a lot of things that God may do through the pruning process, but on the front end of this journey, I, I wanted to kind of just lift up a couple. You see, pruning has a way of identifying, of identifying those things that we're looking to for our security, for our identity, for our meaning, and for our joy other than God. These are actually our functional idols, right? I mean, most of us don't carve wooden images and have them in our houses, right? We haven't, haven't perhaps uh, uh, molded a, a, a god out of precious metals any time in the past few weeks. But we all have functional idols. 
those things that functionally on a day-by-day basis we tend to look to for our security, our identity, our meaning, and our joy other than God. And those are the things that very often pruning begins to reveal. Pruning begins to show us areas where I am depending upon something else more than I am depending upon God. Said another way, pruning can show us where we've taken good things and made them ultimate things. Your abilities are good things, but sometimes we begin to trust in our productivity for our identity and our meaning and our security and our hope more than we trust in God. And maybe, maybe for you it's, it's, it's a possession. Maybe it's this position. Maybe it's, it's a person. Maybe it's a relationship. And those can all be good things. All these good gifts that come from the hand of our Father, they come for us to be able to enjoy. But the problem comes, particularly in a, in a society as affluent as ours, then good things, if we're not careful, can become ultimate things that we begin to lean on for our security, our identity, our meaning, and our joy. And pruning, pruning has a way of bringing to the surface what God knows and we don't, or we don't recognize, that I have made a good thing an ultimate thing, that there's something I've been leaning on for security, identity, meaning, and joy other than God. And so if I'm truly going to be transformed, I have to begin and admit I can't do it alone. I I admit my weakness. I own it. And, And I accept the fact that God is going to prune some things from my life, and that pruning is going to be challenging and even painful along the way, but there's a purpose in the midst of it. And what enables me to do that is the third key that we kind of, as we lay this foundation this week, we abide. We abide in our relationship with Christ. Uh, several times, just in those 11 verses in this chapter, of the word abide, abide, abide. Some of your translations will say remain, remain in me. Uh, the, the abide is this vital union. It is this unbroken connection. It, it, is, it is to stay connected. It, it is to rest in, to make our home in. And there is this this calling that if I'm going to experience transformation, it has to happen as I abide. But but notice what, what he said in the very beginning. I am the true vine. By implication, that means there's some false vines out there, right? There are some things that maybe we can stay connected to. Maybe we can lean upon. Maybe we can seek to to draw our life and power from that aren't the true vine. And so I have to make sure not only am I staying connected, but am I staying connected to the one who is the true vine. So here's what I want you to understand this morning. When we talk about God's will, and and there's tons of books written on God's will, and how you know God's will, and all these things. Listen, God's will is primarily a relationship, not a roadmap. Now that, that frustrates many of us. I'll be first in that line. Because a lot of what I find myself kind of saying out loud sometimes, but silently a lot of times is God if you would just show me 
<laughs> if you would just show me, yeah, yeah. doesn't even have to be the next 30 years, next three, I'm good, I'm good. You know, just, you know, just put it out there, right? You know. God, this is where I want to go. Let me punch in the, the coordinates and you show me how to get there. God says, I don't want to just give you a road map so that you spend your life just checking off points along the way. But I invite you into a relationship. A relationship that's real and that's vital. We we tend to think that production comes before connection. Because a lot of times in our world it does. Produce and maybe we'll allow you to to be in this circle or be in this this relationship or whatever it may. Uh, But Jesus teaches us that actually connection comes before production. That it is as we are connected to him, as we relate to him, that's where the fruitfulness begins to flow. And so here's the challenge. Here's the challenge, honestly, for many of us in this room, even because we've been in church year after year after year after year, the challenge is not in earning God's love, because that is impossible to do. I can't earn God's love. The only thing I have earned is the exact opposite of that. I have earned justice. I have earned separation. I have, have, have earned judgment for my sin. It is impossible to earn God's love. And yet a lot of us will spend our life trying to be good enough. The challenge is actually in living in a constant awareness of God's love. Because when we live, when we operate out of an awareness of God's love for us, his unmerited favor, his grace, moment by moment by moment, day by day to us. When I begin to operate, when I begin to find my identity and an awareness of God's love for me, that begins to fuel my capacity to change. And so it begins as simple as as recognizing that if I am in Christ, if I am in Christ, there is nothing, nothing, nothing I will ever do that can make him love me more. And nothing that I have done or will do that will make him love me less. Now for some of you, that's already a challenge. And even if it's not a challenge here, it's a challenge on the level that we operate on a day-by-day basis because a lot of us feel like God may love me more today because I got up and had a really extra long quiet time. And I actually gave extra money. And I did something unselfish and good. And there's that sense that I perhaps... Like God's smiling on me a little more today. I'm a little more loved. But I'm not. I'm not. Now, in this moment, maybe some of you are starting to push back. And you're saying, Jeff, okay, that sounds good. But I tell you, if you tell folks they're loved by God and there's nothing they can do to make God love them more, they're just going to run amok. I mean, they're going to they're do all this stuff. And it's just going to be, it's just gonna be you know, license all over the place. And, this. and by the way, by the way, didn't you just read a few moments ago there in verse 10? I mean, what about those commandments, right? I mean, he, I mean Jesus puts it right there, right? He said, and if... If you keep my commandments, 
you will abide in my love. Just as I have kept my Father's commandments and abide in His love. Yeah, Jeff, what about those commandments? I think they're good, (laughs) which is really humble for me to agree with the Almighty, isn't it? (laughs) Right? I mean, if He gives them, absolutely they're good. But but what what does this mean about about living in an awareness of His love? And yet, if you love me, you'll you'll keep my commandments. Well, well, please understand that the commandments are are not ways of earning God's favor. I don't get more of God's love because I was more obedient today. They are actually a result of abiding in Christ. They they flow from abiding in Christ. So right before verse 10 where he talks about, if you keep my commandments, verse 9, as the Father has loved me, so I have loved you. Abide in my love. And as I rest in his love, then I begin to to live those commandments. And they are a result of God's work in me. And they are also a means of me staying connected to Christ. Uh, That when I step outside of the boundaries of God's commandment, it doesn't change his love toward me, but it does impact my connectedness with him. And so the, what happens is I more and more become aware of his love, of the acceptance that I have in Christ Jesus. It begins to change me from the inside out. And as a result of abiding in his love, of remaining in his love, then I begin more and more to keep his commandments. And more and more as I walk in his commandments, more and more I experience the life-giving flow, the transformational power of Jesus Christ. See, we obey his commands not to be loved, but because we are loved. Because we are loved in Christ. It's not to, to, if I do this, he'll love me. But it's, I am loved I am loved, and and the more I know him, the more I trust him, and the more that I desire to to follow him along the way. So let me me try to give you a couple word pictures, and I hope this will be helpful. It it has been to me. We we can think of growth, because that's what we're talking about. We're talking about grow, transformation. We, We can think about two different kinds of growth. One, One kind of growth we can call mechanical growth. Mechanical growth. And mechanical growth is kind of external com- compliance, right? It's I, I, I do this, and, and it's almost like having some Legos. I, I put on this, and I put on this, and I put on this. And a lot of us, even if we've been in church world for a while, that tends to be how we operate, right? Well, you have this, and I put on, I got to read my Bible, I got I to gotta pray, I got I to gotta do this. And, and there are the, these things I do, and I've had folks say just really interesting things through the years. I've had folks say stuff like, well, I'm afraid not to talk because of what God might do, right? You know? I mean, do you really think God's just really excited that you grudgingly give (laughs) in fear that he might zap you? (laughs) Actually, didn't he inspire Paul to write that God loves a cheerful giver? What if my giving wasn't 
mechanical? What if it wasn't this compulsion by this fear of what might hit me from the outside? But what if it began to say, I have been given so much. (laughs) I give back. I give freely. Because we tend to give things to those we love, do we not? In fact, is what I discover, and Henry Blackaby and others have been teaching us this for decades, that very often when I have an obedience problem, I actually have a love problem. I have a worship problem. That there's something I trust in, that there's something I value, that there's something I, 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 I desire more than God. There's mechanical growth that doesn't really impress God even though it may look good to all all sorts of other people. But what this word picture reminds us is that God desires an organic growth, if we can use that term, an organic growth. This is is life within. This this is that which which develops. So so I've got some props here, right, some toys. Let Let me pull out one here. Okay, so think about like this apple here, right? Okay, so... Yeah, it doesn't like produce this, this, this apple appears organically on an apple tree, right? As this, the life-giving flow from the tree produces this fruit, right? It happens internally. It happens organically, the way sometimes we approach, because he talks about fruitfulness here, right? Although sometimes the way that we approach this is we see the fruit. Let's just start with like the spiritual fruit. Love, joy, peace, patience, kindness, goodness, faithfulness, gentleness, and self-control, right? And we say, well, these are good things. These are spiritual fruit that God's after. And so it's almost like we take this and we try to like, well, we'll get a little string or a staple or something and we try to tie it on a branch of a tree and we get enough of those and we can step back and say, ta-da, there's an apple tree. That's not an apple tree. It's a tree, it's a branch that somebody attach some apples too. But it didn't grow from that tree. It didn't grow in a relationship with that tree, a connectedness to that tree. Now, I'll just tell you, one of the things that, that has messed with me for years And it, just, it really just about derailed me when God was kind of bringing me back to him. As I began to engage in the life of a local church. And it just, it just about blew me away. Because I couldn't figure out why some people that had been in church for so many years were so stinking mean. And I know that wasn't everybody. I, please don't hear like this broad statement. But there were people that would talk about, and they would know their Bible. And they would show up at all these events. But then when I read this thing, and I read like love and joy and peace and patience and kindness and goodness, and I thought, that's not you. 
And I was a young guy. I was, I'm trying to figure this out. And I, I got enough of my own junk. I get it. I'm like, how does this happen, Lord? And how do I keep it from happening to me? You know? And I began to understand that there are a lot of folks, particularly when it's culturally acceptable to like be connected to a church, that hear these admonitions from Scripture, that hear a guy like me talk about these things, and they say, I need this, tie it on. I need a little of this, put it on over here. And if we step back and we say, ta-da, fruit. But when the heat's on, it withers. <laughs> because it's not organic. It's not connected. You see, the gospel produces in us what no amount of religion can. And that is transformation, change from the inside out. It produces not just mechanical external change, but an internal desire to change. And that's where we start to understand the transformational power of the gospel. So that's one picture. Let me give you another picture. And you've got, a, I think, a space in your, your notes to, oops, draw a diagram. And I was going to do it on a board and stuff, but I was afraid you wouldn't be able to see it. So, so stick with me on this, if you will. So if we can think about, about this, and I hope you can see it somewhat well from there. This, is, this line is just kind of time in our life. And actually, probably a better diagram would have it continuing on through here as, as we go through time. Uh, but there, there comes a point, if we are a follower of Jesus Christ, where we begin to, begin to understand, we become aware of God's holiness. And as we become aware of God's holiness, we also become aware of our sinfulness. And at some point there, as we become aware of that, if we are genuinely going to be connected to Jesus Christ, we understand that here at this cross, he did for me what I could not do for myself. And so there is this point of conversion. There's this point when I understand my sin, my choices, my going my own way instead of God's way has separated me from a holy God. And the only way that I can be connected to him is through Jesus Christ, because Jesus came and lived the life that I should have lived. He died the death I deserved to die so that he could offer to me forgiveness of sin, so that he could offer to me a life connected to him now and for all eternity. But here's what happens. For some of us, that's it. We kind of think the gospel is like there was a starting block. But as we grow, as we go over time, what happens is, if we are genuinely connected to him, we start to become aware, there's a growing awareness of God's holiness. The more I understand of God, the more it blows me away. The more I understand he's just not a supersized me. He is, he is holy other. And the more that I understand God, then I also simultaneously begin to have a growing awareness of my own sin. 
Now, here's what happens when, when that starts to happen for some people. Sometimes somebody begins to see that, and they see a larger gap. They see this larger gap between their sinfulness and God's holiness than they did when they were first converted. And some people maybe look back and say, well, I don't know if I was genuinely saved. But actually, that's, that's not necessarily an indication of an absence of grace. That's actually growth in grace. Because it's not that you became more sinful. Hopefully, you're being transformed by the power of the Holy Spirit. It doesn't say growing sinfulness. It says a growing awareness of my sinfulness. Because the more I get a glimpse of, the more I have an awareness of God's holiness, I become more aware of my sinfulness. There are things that God convicts me of that disturb me today that did not disturb me 10 years ago. Why? Because I have a growing awareness of the holiness of God and a growing awareness of my sinfulness. Now, in my flesh, I try to close that gap. I try to close that gap by lowering God's demands or by in pride making myself to look better than I am, trying to kind of keep the cross at the small size like kind of where I started. But remember what I said at the beginning, you never grow beyond the gospel you grow deeper in the gospel. And so what happens is, the more that I become aware of the holiness of God, the more I become aware of the sinfulness of God, the gospel becomes even bigger and bigger and bigger to me. That I, I, I begin to understand my need for the gospel. I understand my need for the gospel now in ways that I never understood 10, 20 years ago. I, I honestly, I really feel like, and it's not perfect, it's not like 100% every day, but I have, I have a greater awe and appreciation of the gospel of Jesus Christ now than I did decades ago. Not because I wasn't genuinely saved, but because if I stay connected, he gives me a growing awareness of his holiness and a growing awareness of my sinfulness, and that gives me a growing awareness of my need for the gospel. Now, if you try to keep that gap small by works, you'll be tying on fruit the rest of your life. But if you keep coming back to the gospel, you'll begin to experience an organic growth. Because the gospel produces in us what no amount of religious activity ever could and that is transformation from the inside out not just activity externally compulsed but that which we desire from the inside out so let me put it this way one of my favorite authors as I've grown in this awareness through the years uh, as a man just passed away uh, uh, a few years ago Jerry Bridges and one of my favorite Jerry Bridges quotes is this. Our worst days are never so bad that you're beyond the reach of God's grace. And your best days are never so good that you're beyond the need of God's grace. I cannot tell you the number of times I have come back to that quote. I have it, I have it in some material that I have as part of my prayer time. And what I learned from Bridges and what I've learned from others is I need to preach the gospel to myself every single day. Every single day I need to meditate on who God is and what he has done for me. 
And when you do that, when you do that, he begins to change you from the inside out. Some of us are weary of religious activity. That is why sometimes you see somebody and they say, well, they were so involved in the church once upon a time. They were serving and they were doing and they were doing all these things, but you can do all those things in a mechanical way. Or you can do those things in an organic way. Because God is transforming you from the inside out. As you just saturate yourself in the gospel. As you live out of an awareness of God's love for you. So that your identity, your security, your hope is not in your performance, but it is in the completed, finished work of Jesus Christ. Charles Spurgeon told a story years ago, and some other authors and writers have picked it up and adapted it through the years. But I give it to you, maybe as one more way of trying to put this together. He he talked about a, a, a... farmer in this kingdom. And he, he farmed, uh, gardened, and among, uh, among the things he grew were carrots. And one day he, he grows this enormous carrot. I mean, it's the, it's the largest, most beautiful carrot that, that anybody has ever seen. And, and his first instinct is to say, the king has been so good to me. He has been so gracious to me that this, this is fit for a king. And therefore, I want to break it to him. So he goes and he, he manages to get an appointment with, before the king. And he comes with this, this beautiful, large, greatest carrot he's ever grown. And he says, oh, king, you have been so kind and so gracious. You have provided for me and for this kingdom so, so well. And I just wanted to give this to you in appreciation for who you are and what you've done. And the king is infinitely wise. And as he discerned the man's heart, the farmer was leaving. The king said, hold on a moment. He said, I actually own a lot of the land right around yours. And I want to give it to you. I want to give it to you because you are, you are a good steward of the land. And I want to give it to you for you to continue to do what you do, even on that land. And the farmer left rejoicing, delighted once again by the the greatness and the kindness of the king. Well, there's a nobleman standing by who hears all this transaction taking place. And he reasons to himself, if that's what you get for a carrot... (laughs) What might you get for a really significant gift? And since he is a breeder of horses, the nobleman goes and he picks out the, the, the finest black stallion that he has. And he comes the next day and has audience with the king and he, he uses some of the same words and, oh, you're a good and gracious king and, and because I breed horses, this is the greatest horse that I have or ever will have. Therefore, I want to present it to you as a token of my love and respect for you. But the king discerned his heart. And as he said, thank you, he 
took the horse and merely dismissed the man. The nobleman was going out and he was perplexed in a moment of arrogant boldness. He stood and said, I don't understand. The king said, let me explain. The farmer yesterday was giving me the carrot. You were giving yourself the horse. You see, you can do the same thing on the outside for two totally different reasons on the inside. God is not impressed by mechanical activity. God is looking for men and women who will stay connected to him. And organically, he begins to transform them from the inside out. They give, they read a Bible, they pray, they do some of these things we'll talk about in the weeks ahead, not to get something from God, but because they've already gotten all these things from him. They grow in an awareness of his love. Because the gospel is not just how we begin in Christ, it's how we grow in Christ. The way you grow in Christ is never going to be beyond the gospel, but growing deeper in the gospel. And the same grace that has forgiven me is now in the process of changing me. Paul put it this way, for it is God who is at work within you both to will and to work for his good pleasure. That's what happens when men and women rest in him and in his love for them, displayed most clearly in the gospel and in the cross of Jesus Christ.